Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can take a seat. Thanks, Sam. Good morning again, everybody. Uh, my name's Sean. I'm the lead pastor, teaching pastor here for Redemption Peoria. If I don't know you, um, I'll be out by the Connect desk. I'd love to get to know you. Say hi. Myself and some of the elders uh, be able to help you kind of process who we are. Um, if you are new, just know Redemption Church is one church. Uh, we're 10 different congregations spread throughout the state of Arizona. Um, you might have questions about that, and we'd love to be able to answer uh, any of those questions you have. I will say, though... Uh, If you want to make this place your home, we have a Start Here class to help you kind of get integrated into what we feel like is the engine of our church, which is our communities. We feel like the best way uh, to continue to grow in your spirituality and in your Christianity is to be around people who are going to um, poke and prod and and question and and have you question them and and be in life with them. So um, the Start Here class that you can get engaged with and join is the first three weeks of every month. And you can text the word uh, connect to 623-850-4690, um, and you'll see on there, there's a Start Here class. Also on there, I want to uh, promote real quick, there's another thing you're going to see, it's like a, a film and theology class. Now, you could sign up for it uh, on there, or you could see the Connect desk, but here's what I want to put in front of you. If, if you like, like watching television, I don't mean just like a bum, but you're like really intrigued uh, by the art of television or movies and, and cinema, um, we have a guy in our church, Troy Kinney, who uh, loves that stuff and helps navigate for a Christian worldview. How do we process this? I mean, obviously, I don't know if you know this, television isn't going anywhere, um, right? And so as it continues to find new avenues to, to get in places, how do we as Christians process that? And so he's going to walk our church through uh, some of that stuff so you can be aware of that. Um, I only have two quick announcements for you, okay? The first one is this. Um, if you consider yourself a member of Redemption Peoria or you want to be a member or you're saying, I think at one point I was a member, I don't know if I am now, uh, next week, right after first service, so before you guys get here, from 10.20 to about 10.40, we're going to have a, a membership. It's not a class. It's just a membership meeting. And that includes anybody who wants to get in. We, we've um, recognized we've dropped the ball in some areas, and so we're kind of starting with a clean slate. So anybody who wants to say, hey, we're in at Redemption Peoria. That place is my home. I want to be a member. We want to just give a brief uh, synopsis of next steps for those of you who still have questions about our doctrine, uh, what to do if you're saying you're already all to be in, and then uh, from there, a couple dates for you to be aware of where we will have a, a longer membership meeting. So just know that's on the table. The second thing is this. Um, we are in the book of Ephesians, if you're not aware, and we're going to be spending most of the year there. Uh, and we're going to have, throughout the course of this Ephesians series, uh, three different workbooks to go along. And so we have the first section workbook, which is uh, pretty much the first two chapters of Ephesians at the Connect Desk. Now, we're selling them for $5. Here's why. Um, they're four bucks at cost to make. They're a pretty thick book that we have. And the extra dollar, I, w- I want to put this in front of you, is going towards those of you, and maybe this is you, um, who can't afford. You, and that's not a joke. You legit say, like, I can't throw down the $5. And this is coming from somebody who grew up on food stamps and, and uh, lunch cards, right? So I get it. If you don't have the dough to put there, somebody else is dropping an extra dollar in to help pay for that. Uh, so if you don't have the money and you still want a workbook, Go up there, and they will give you a workbook, okay? Be aware of that. Um, I do want to say if you're a leader, go up there and grab it for free regardless uh, so you can kind of lead your communities through them. There's a lot of good reading stuff, uh, all that to to be a part of uh, the Ephesians series. Cool? 
Well, I, uh, I haven't loved just doing announcements and then going into the text, so I want to pray real quick. Pray that God would be involved with everything we're going to be talking about, and then we'll get started. Father, thank you so much for who you are. This is a moment where we take a posture of humility, recognizing you have given us your word. You've given us Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. And there's about a third of our brothers and sisters around the world who would love those two verses. They would love to have their hands on a Bible, and they can't, whether because of government, persecution, other religions. So we're grateful. We take it serious. You've given us these two verses to study. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, here's what I, I, I want to do. I want to show you something on the screen. Um, we, we started verses 1 and 2. Um, last week, which is kind of a, a Pauline greeting. We've talked about how the whole book is going to be pocketed in grace and peace. Um, and now we're going to go to from verse 3 to verse 14, okay? Um, but today we're only going to cover two verses. But verses 3 and 14 are meant to be understood together. Now, I want to show you all of verse 3 and four, uh, through, 3 through 14. Now, I recognize there's some of you in the back who probably can't even read what's um, on the screen right now. But here's what I want you to know. In English, as you look at your Bibles or you look at the screen, you're seeing periods and you're seeing commas, okay? In Greek, they're not there. What Paul does from verse 3 to 14 is one gigantic sentence, okay? So to prove it to you, let me just read this to you. This is how it's meant to be read. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glory, uh, his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him we also, uh, when, I'm sorry, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of, with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Paul hates us. Okay? So we read this, and it's like, yeah, I can read it and break it up in chunks. But it is meant to be read together. The study of Ephesians 3 through 14, it being one sentence, points us to something. It's meant to be talked about one topic. And is the topic, and we have this fancy word in Christianity called soteriology. Soterios is where we get our word salvation from. It's the study of salvation. If you say you're a believer, if you say you're a Christian, I believe in Jesus, here's the question. How'd you get there? What does that mean now? What's that mean moving forward? If we study salvation, Paul starts verse 3 through 14, letting us kind of remove the veil and see what salvation looks like. And there's words and there's terms that we've got to get at that may make us uncomfortable, even starting today, that we're going to be able to go at, but this is the study of salvation. Now, here's what I want to put in front of you. More than just seeing it as one sentence, I need you to understand it's written in a certain rhythm, okay? This rhythm is meant to cause not arguments, it's not meant to cause debate, it's not even meant to cause mental dissonance. It's meant to cause one thing, worship. Let me prove it to you. A guy named uh, Timothy Gambus, uh, one of the 
commentaries I, I mentioned last week that I'm reading. He said this, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 begins with what is called the Barakah, an extended Jewish blessing formula that sets Ephesians in an atmosphere of worship. Now, scholars have noted that the function of this section is to form the identity of the people of God, shaping the way they envision what God has done and how they play a central role in the work of God to recapture and redeem the world. You ready for this last statement? That this is done in a setting of worship and praise is crucial. When we read that one sentence, as we go over the next six weeks through this big sentence, it should cause Worship. We should not walk away frustrated or argumentative or poking and prodding in certain directions that aren't necessary. We should go, yes, yes, this makes sense. Oh my God, I can see it now. And it's beautiful and it causes something that stirs your soul. That is the direction Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 should take us. If we go in any other direction, we're not reading it the right way. Now there's a lot of explaining as to why I'm setting it up that, so let's get at it. Verse 3 starts with this. Right after the introduction, we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. Let's stop there real quick. So the word blessing is going to appear three times in our section two in this first uh, verse, right? So the first one is, Blessed be the God and Father who has blessed us. And the first one is an adjective. The second one is a verb, okay? Now, Whenever you read in your Bible, blessed as an adjective, where blessing goes, it's always directed towards God. It's eugelegatos. It's, it's where we get our word eulogy from, meaning if you stand before people and uh, someone has just passed away and you're giving a eulogy, you're speaking highly of them. The first declaration for Paul is going, let's talk about how big God is. He's so big. He's so great. He's merciful, he's just, he's righteous, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent. He's he's poetic in the way that he does things. He's awesome. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where it starts. And then it uses this word, blessing, or uh, uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Right? So this, now it's in this direction of this verb. And anytime you read this, the, the, uh, the word blessed uh, in the, the verb form, 90% of the time in the Bible and in the New Testament, uh, more appropriately, especially in Pauline literature, it's always a direction of how, God awesome, it, how um, awesome God is directing his awesomeness, how, how good he is towards us. So what it's saying in this first statement is, there's a declaration from the jump. Let's talk about Ephesians 1 through 6. Let me write you a, a letter, church. Let's start with this. God is big. God is awesome. He's so magnificent. Can you feel his love? Can you see his goodness? Can you understand his kindness? Of course you can because he has blessed you. He has taken how good he is and he has shared that with you. That's where it's starting. You can immediately see why this is meant to cause something in our soul to stir for joy. This is good news. Hear it. Now, 3 through 14 is going to give us 22 ways that God has blessed us. 22 ways. Okay? And as we go through these things, it's really important, but he's going to begin to define um, what kind of blessings these are. And so it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ, so in Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, you may go, that's really bizarre. Because even as Christians, we go, I'm blessed. Nobody even knows what that means. I'm blessed. Some over here is like, I was blessed with a new car. The other person's sitting over here saying, I'm blessed. I'm just going through trials right now, but I'm blessed. And I'm going, 
it don't look like you're blessed, bro. So like, like we, we don't even know what to do with this blessing. And we're given this adjective, these spiritual blessings. So we've been blessed with these spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. So for us to understand what Paul's doing, first we need to understand this. This language appears nowhere else in your Bible. The only time Paul uses these, these terms is in Ephesians. Spiritual blessings. That's the only time he's going to uh, refer to is in the book of Ephesians. Now the reason he's doing that is our context. So let's rewind the clock. Maybe you weren't with us last week. Um, in Ephesians, or in Ephesus, it's this uh, small little port city uh, on your way from, let's say, the Middle East up to Italy. And uh, as you stop there, there's tons of philosophies, tons of ideas, tons of ways that you think the world works. But ultimately, there is one queen bee. There is one uh, um, God who rules the land, and it's Artemis. Let's look at her again, that awkward picture I put up last week. Okay, So here is Artemis. And according to the theology of Artemis, to, to understand the people there... Everything they do, they're looking towards Artemis, okay? Now, there are peripheral things. Obviously, there's Greek uh, gods across the board in all other spheres. But we talked about how they're going to Artemis to bring life. They're going to Artemis to, to look at childbearing. They're going to Artemis for blessings. And what Paul is doing is being super intentional with his language. I, I know you're spiritual people. I know you understand blessings. But you're going to the wrong God. And so he's going to turn this on his head. And now this is where we have to, to define some worldview stuff. Because the way that people understand Artemis and their context um, isn't par for par with the way that we understand things. Uh, meaning this. So for the most part, um, though we have an ever-growing kind of spiritual culture, we live in a pretty naturalistic culture. Prove it, touch it, taste it, then it's real. And, and so because of that, what we've done is we've uh, delegated natural things to be down here and spiritual things to be up here. And, and, and I think the proper biblical worldview is a little closer to what they're holding, though there's huge distinctions, meaning that it's not so separate, right? This is what we would call deism, that God made something like a clock, wound it up, and just let it go. And now the, the, the fleshly things, the earthly things are on their own. But that's not how the Ephesians, and nor is that how the Bible is processing reality. Uh, spiritual things and physical things are far closer together. This is why in Mark 5, when Jesus comes upon a man who's cutting himself, who's talking to himself, we immediately would go, he has a mental illness, but that's not what Jesus diagnoses, is it? He's got a demon. Now, don't hear something I'm not saying. I'm not saying any mental illness is, is demonic. What, what I'm saying is that, that in that moment, we can um, our worldview, our context that, that we live in, would try to go schizophrenia, pills, it's all natural. And, and, and the biblical worldview is we're far more meshed together than that. Like Jesus even tells us to pray for our daily bread. But naturally, we can just go to Little Caesars and get a $5 pizza. So, so there's something going on within the Ephesian mind that, that they're saying, I know that when I need crops, I know it needs sun, I know it needs light, it needs vitamin B, it needs fertilizer. I understand photosynthesis, maybe they didn't fully understand, but I understand when they, they, I do these things, things grow. But at the same time, they're praying to Artemis, to have these things grow. It's a meshing together. And what Paul does is, he looks them at their face and he says, you're looking for those blessings, those things in all the wrong places. And every single one of us knows what he's talking about. Every time you jump on that screen, you're looking for something, homie. You're looking for something. And I don't mean just in pornography. I mean on Amazon. 
You're, you're searching for some type of pleasure when you, when you engage with her like that, when you engage with him like that. When you're greedy, there's a hole. There's something you're looking to satisfy by having that relationship, that friendship, that boyfriend, that girlfriend. You're looking for something. And what Paul is declaring is the same thing he's declaring to the Ephesians. You're looking in the wrong place. It's in Christ that those spiritual blessings are found. Now, this is what I love about this. The word every. It's not some. What I love about the Greek word every is it means, it can be uh, 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 translated every. It's all. It's it's all things. So I have uh, uh, my youngest daughter, Anna. She's about to turn two. Candace takes these stony field... um, uh, yogurt tubes and she freezes them so they can have frozen yogurt in the morning or whatever. So Anna's two years old, get her up, she just give her, give her a yogurt. I cut, cut off the stony field top, right? And when I cut it off, I cut a little bit too much off and some of it falls on the ground. The frozen yogurt and the, the top comes off and I'm holding the, the frozen tube and I go down to pick up the, the piece that I cut off and Anna's on the floor and she's, she's grabbing the pieces that, that had broken and she keeps eating this floor yogurt, okay? Now, I go, Anna, look at me. Anna, stop eating that. Yo- I'm holding a tube of frozen. Everything you're enjoying right now, I'm, I have right here in my hand. But she wants floor yogurt. So I go, okay. Like, I can't get her attention. She just, okay, eating floor yogurt, okay. And I just put the tube there. I'm like, Anna, it's right here when you want all of the yogurt. But this is us, isn't it? This is what Paul's putting in front of the Ephesians. It's not that um, God can be parts or declared uh, um, some type of mystic out there, uh, participate in what you're doing. No, hear me. Everything you're looking for, Ecclesiastes 3.11, the eternity that is stored up in your heart, he has. But you're satisfied with floor yogurt. You're satisfied with Artemis. But it's a lie. And Paul's intentionally putting in front of the Ephesians and he's putting in front of us now that we're pursuing Artemis for those spiritual blessings, but they're found in Christ. So as we read this, um, it's immediately going to kick into uh, this uh, next verse in verse 4. And the point of this change of what he's going to do is he's now going to make a a declaration of how we can know this to be true, okay? So we're switching gears a little bit, but it's going to come full circle. And it says this, okay, in verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And it feels like a, a change of thought, but it's not. So l- let's, let's get out what he's saying. Here's the declaration, okay? Even before the world was created, blank. Let's stop there, okay? Let's rewind, go back again to, to last week. What did we say the, the whole book should be pocketed in? It's in grace and peace. So let's, let's dig at grace for a second, okay? Um, If we're to understand a statement like this, let's go this. You're coming here and you're processing grace based on your merit. We've talked about this a million times based on all that you've done right or all that you've done wrong. And what what we're, we're seeing here immediately is before the foundation of the world. No, before you sinned yesterday, grace was already doing something. No, no, no. Before your parents brought you into a world of sin, grace was already. No, 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 no. Before Adam and Eve brought sin into the world, grace, no, no, let's go back further than that. Before he made grass, before dirt was here, before the animals, before people, 
grace was already in motion. Grace was already in motion before grace was needed. So you come to the table and think you've messed up. Check it out, homie. He knew you were going to mess up. That's not why he saved you. Before the foundation of the world. Man, I've been on 10 years. I've been running from the Lord. I don't know what. I don't know if he's going to take me. He knew that time was going to exist. Before the foundations of the world, grace was already doing something. Now, here's the big question. What was it doing? What was it doing? It says this. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. The next part that we're going to talk about in soteriology and understanding salvation requires a statement to be made. And it's this. From this point on, let's agree that this is where the conversation starts. It's not where it ends. Everything we're going to talk about from this point on is going to cause some mental dissonance. You're going to be frustrated maybe, or maybe you're going to have questions with what it's going to say. But, but let this be where the conversation starts, not where it ends. Let's talk through it. And this, this, this I think, being a good Christian, but more than that, just being a good thinker, being a good human, is if someone comes and says, Jesus isn't God, I can prove it in the Bible. Listen, though, of course, they're wrong, hear me. If they can prove it in the Bible, and Jesus being God is a man-made philosophy, then throw it away and believe the Bible. Do you understand? Now, of course, don't. That's not true. I'll defend it in the Bible. But the point is that we wouldn't follow man-made ideas, our own connotations, our own ideas of what we think and how God should operate. Let's just be there. Now, the second thing is this. Um, I meant to do this at the beginning of the year, but moving forward all through Ephesians, we're going to have this candle lit. Um, And it's intentional, and I have failed at the beginning of the year to, to do it, but the goal is to have it lit. If I forget to light it, there's a lighter over here. Anybody's welcome to do it. Um... But as we go through service, here's what I want this to be a symbol of. I want us to remember what we're going to call this the Christ candle. I want us to remember that we're not talking about abstract theology. That this isn't a classroom. That the Bible is meant to conjure something up and do something. So let's do this. Let's remember that this, uh, let's see this as a reminder that Christ is in the room. I don't believe Jesus is the candle. It's a symbol. Uh, I got in the car yesterday with Jim, and he has on his dashboard, turn off lights, or are lights off, question mark. He's really old. He forgets stuff, okay? And so he has there. Now, now it's, it's a reminder. I need to turn off the lights when I get out of the car. We're going to see this candle as a reminder. What we talk about in soteriology, what we talk about in race, what we talk about in family, what we talk about in spiritual things, Christ is in the room. He's not removed from our conversation. And so this leads us to the language that he chose us before the foundation of the world. I will do my best to take one of these hard words when we come to them and break them down. So probably the the most fatiguing word that we're getting at in this uh, verse is the word chose. So here's the word chose. It starts with the word ek. It's two words put together, which simply means out of, okay? So when you see this in any Greek, and you don't, uh, just if you know, you can say ek the room. I'm leaving the room. Ek out of the car or whatever it is. It's added to any type of word that can be added to, but it's a two-part word, and it's ek, which is out of, plus lego, which is where we get speaking to a decision. Um, And so as you see these two words uh, together, so speaking to a decision is making a defined decision, um, and and, and it's out of something else. So there's a multiple uh, uh, choice answer, and you pick that answer. We get the definition of uh, uh, out of, speaking uh, to a decision, to select out of, or as it's Uh, articulated here to choose 
And it's used in a bunch of different ways. Jesus chooses his disciples. Um, yeah, we see it in, in the, the 4,000 and how he, he chooses uh, uh, the bread and fish. And, and what, what's, what's being um, understood here is this idea of you're standing at the, the, the grocery store with your spouse or your friend, and there's a bunch of raviolis, and you look at raviolis, I choose this brand. You're, you're picking a brand. Or you're looking at a bunch of apples, I, I pick this apple. Or maybe a better way to think about it is you're a captain of a team, and there's a bunch of people, and you say, I pick John. You in that moment, all this word is trying to get at is saying in that moment, you select, verbally you call out of the other people that are, are, are um, in the mix to choose, you call that one person, you pick that one person out of the other people. You tracking with me? So let's put this together. What we're told here in the Bible, this is not Sean talking. What this says is God in Christ before the foundations of of the world, he picked you out. He chose you. He chose you. Sit. And I, I get it. Like, even to hear that language, I mean, even to think of John 15, 16, I chose you, you did not choose me. To think of John even 15, uh, uh, that was 15, 16, 15, 19 is you were in the world and I chose you from the world. Let that sit for a second. I, I get it. You probably have a million questions. Hear me when I say this. I've been you. You're wondering immediately maybe like, I can hear a Professor X. I'm hearing your thoughts right now. You're wondering like, like, well, if he chose us, does that mean he, he didn't choose these other people? Does, does he hate these other people? We're not there. We're not there. All we have is before the world began, look at me. If you are a believer in Christ, he chose you. He chose you. Before the world began, you were chosen. I get it. I, I, it's doing all kinds of things. But remember, this is pocketed in doxology. It's pocketed in worship. It's supposed to do something. Now, um, here's, here's what, what I want to do from this moment. This is what is historically known as the doctrine of election. And um, it's real easy to skate around things like this if we were just to teach topically, right? Ain't nobody trying to like teach topically and just talk about election and have half the church leave, right? Because even if you're a non-believer in here, you're hearing me tell, uh, make this statement that God chose some people and he didn't choose others, that's what you're hearing me say. That's what it is saying. He literally, out of these people, he chose these people. And I, listen to me. It's in the Bible. You have to do something with it. So here's, here's what I want to do. Um, I want to pocket our conversation from this point on, including next week, uh, in something by John Stott. He gives four points as we process this theology. This is where the conversation starts. It's not where it ends. I bet you've got a plethora of questions. It's where it starts. It's not where it ends. And he gives four ways to, to, to kind of get around this because um, I, I think this is important. Uh, when I was first introduced to the doctrines of election, uh, the doctrines of grace, I came across a verse like this, and I said, it's there in the Bible. I don't know what you want me to do with it. And I remember I was discipling this kid, this, this uh, 16-year-old kid. I loved him. I've been discipling him for two years. And his mom said, don't talk to my son anymore. You're one of those. What do you want me to do, man? It's in the Bible. Like whether you want, you like it or not, you got to do something with the word choose. You got to do something with the fact that he chose you before the foundation of the world. You got to do something with the fact that he chose you out of other people before the foundation of the world. It's there. So Stott gives four ways to process this. The first one is this. I'll try to stick to my notes because I can 
go off like a canyon, cannon on, on some of this stuff. The first one is this. The doctrine of election is in the Bible. Man did not come up with it. Okay? So we're not chalking this up to Augustine or to Calvin. We're just going to say it's here in the scripture. We have to deal with it to some capacity. Now listen, it's not just here. You can't read the Bible as a whole and not wrestle with this. Meaning, at the beginning of time, God begins to create people. And as people scatter out to different nations, for whatever reason, Yahweh God chooses Israel. He doesn't choose the Philistines. He chooses Israel. So let's say there's a hundred nations. He chooses them. You have to do something with that. Why did he choose the Philistines? He chose Israel. Uh, Stott actually comments on this first point, that it's not man-made doctrine. Listen to what he says. Election is without question a biblical doctrine, and no biblical Christian can ignore it. According to the Old Testament, God chose Israel out of the nations of the world to be his uh, uh, special people. According to the New Testament, he is choosing an international community to be his saints. So we must not reject the notion of election as if it were a weird fantasy of men, but rather humbly accept it. It's there. You have to do something with it. The second point is this from Stott. This doctrine is super mysterious. I get it. Look look at me. I don't know why he chose. I don't. I, I don't know how he chose. I don't know. But though I don't understand how he does all these different things and it makes it super mysterious, it's clear that one thing he does do is elect. It's there. Again, Stott says this. Scripture nowhere dispels the mystery of election. And we should become, or sh- and we should beware of any who try to systematize it too precisely or rigidly. It is not likely that we shall discover a simple solution to a problem which has baffled the best brains of Christ- Christendom for centuries. It's a mystery. And I, I, listen, I get the questions, and we're going to wrestle, and I'll, I'll give you some paths to walk down in a second on that. But it's there, and it's a mystery. The third thing is this. The doctrine of election should humble you and never lead to boasting. So let me talk to, to um, some of you maybe who aren't Christians or, or you're hearing this for the first time. And immediately we like to point the finger and go, you think you're better? You think you're better? That's why God chose you? And, and, and you're looking at it like we're beating our chests as if we're better. Let's, let me speak on behalf of all people who hold to the doctrines of election. If we're going to pocket why he chose us uh, in the doctrine of election, understanding the same way in the Old Testament as we do the New Testament, here's what God says in Deuteronomy 6 about choosing Israel. I didn't choose you because you were the smartest. I didn't choose you because you were the wisest, the strongest, the quickest. As a matter of fact, I chose you in love because you were the weakest. So let me speak on behalf of anyone who holds to the doctrines of grace. This doesn't lead to braggadocious pride. This leads to the fact that he chose me because I suck the most. I'm getting real, using the language. So, so, so track, like understand, this never will lead to boasting. This will never lead to pride. Quite the opposite. You're the runt of the litter. He chose you. The last one is, uh, gets us to the end of our verse. And it's that the doctrine of election always leads to godly action. Meaning, for whatever reason, as we're going to see in a moment, he chose these people out of these other people before the foundation of the world. And in this declaration, he chose them for a purpose. He chose them with a plan. And it will never lead to, well, I'm chosen so I can do whatever I want. Listen, anybody who says that in Christianity, forget the doctrine of election, most likely isn't a Christian. 
Let's read the back end of our verse. For context, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. You ready for the word? That. We actually get a glimpse into why he chose these people. Us. That. We should be holy and blameless before him. And now that, those last words you're going to see in love. Contextually, I think the Greek would argue it goes to the next verse. So we're going to unpack that next week. So just at this first part, we get that ultimately he chose us for a purpose that we would, and I quote, be holy and blameless before him. Okay, so um, the answer to, to understanding this verse is basketball, pretty much like everything else. Um, so um, hoop for a long time, right? And since high school, when I could afford my own shoes, I've always had basketball-only shoes. Meaning, you catch anybody who hoops on a regular basis, they're going to carry their shoes into the gym. My wife thinks it's ridiculous, and some of you thinks it, think it's stupid. <laughs> That's why I got game and you don't, Okay. So, uh, one of my boys uh, buys me uh, these KDs, and so I have these shoes, I take them out of the car, I walk with regular shoes into the gym, and then I only wear those shoes in the gym. When I am done playing, I then take those shoes off, I might maybe walk to my car, maybe, but, but I take my shoes off, I put my other shoes on, and I walk back. Those shoes are not for gardening, those shoes aren't even for other athletic activity, those shoes are for balling and balling only, Okay? Now, as silly as you may think that is, this is, I think, what is going on. This is, this, this is the idea that I have selected this pair of shoes. I have this pair of shoes for a purpose. I don't use them for anything else. I have a, a plan and a purpose. I'm deciding to wear these shoes for that cause. And this is what God is doing from the foundations of the world. Nay, before the foundations of the world, he chooses you. You ready for this? For a purpose, this is what you've been looking for, homie. This, this is what you've been looking for. You've been searching on the internet in relationships and friendships. This is what Artemis has been promising. This is what fills the heart from the beginning of time. He has always, he has always had a plan. He's always had a plan. But you bumble around looking for it in other ways. He has a purpose for you, you are set apart for a work. You're set apart for a work. And all this takes place before him. I love when my kids come up and say, Dad, watch. And even when it's dumb, I'm like, that's awesome. I, I love it. I love that they want to live their life and show what they're doing before me. And this is the beauty of what we see, that from the foundations of the world, before the foundations of the world, he chose us in him so that we would live a life before him. And, and here's, here's the word that I, I, I want to finish with. It's the word be. That he didn't call you from the foundations of the world as a chosen people to do things. As long as you get your ducks in a row, no, grace is a lot bigger than that. You're already saved in his sight. You've called upon his name and that was his plan. And now here you live a life in which he has already given you. He's made you into something. He hasn't designed something for you to do. You're a new creature. You're a new creation. And as you process your life, it's not, I can't do that anymore. It's, I'm not that type of person. That's not who I am. I've been selected before time, bro. Before time, 
so that I would be holy and blameless. He has a plan for me. A, I was designed for a purpose. This is what you've been looking for. This is what Artemis can't promise. But we search and we search and we search, but only in Christ are found those spiritual blessings. And oh, how are we blessed so much. So um, I want to um, leave you with an exhortation. And I know I don't do this, but um, when we have a topic like this, I want to do my best, as confusing as the text can be, to um, give you lanes to walk down um, and, and, and try to sum up what I'm trying to say. The first thing is this. Starting February 12th um, at Paseo Verde Community uh, Church, we're going to be borrowing their building. Uh, we're going to do something called the Doctrines of Grace class. It's a Doctrines of Grace class, uh, which we have a, a thing, but it's okay. Um, and it's on Monday nights at 6.30. You can sign up on that Connect card that I said, the 623-8480. I forget the rest of the number. Text the word Connect and it'll connect you. Or you can see the Connect desk. Now, what the Doctrines of Grace are is talking about things like election, talking about um, predestination, talking about what does it mean once saved, always saved? What does it mean that if Jesus died for the world, then why, are not every, why is not everyone saved? If his blood saved all of us, then why is not everyone saved? And so we're going to take five weeks to get at this. But here's what I want you to know. I want to remind you, this is where the conversation starts. This is where it starts. Let's, let's, let's hash through this stuff. Because there's all these terms that are associated to these things that you go, I don't like that. As soon as someone finds out the Redemption Church holds to the doctrines of grace, that we are, you ready? You want to be one of the, one of the words? We, we, we are Calvinistic. Immediately, half of you are like, deuces. Because, like, anybody who hears the word Calvinist immediately wants to get up and walk out, including the Calvinists. Like, nobody wants, and, and, and rightfully so, because there's misnomers and there's ideas in the way we process this conversation. What if we put all that to the peripherals? We focus on the word what does the Bible say? And I'll believe it. Let it start the conversation. So I finish our time with an exhortation. This is my best attempt to sum up Ephesians 1, 3, and 4, that you would hear it rightly and understand the, the nuances that it's trying to unearth. It says this. The blessed one has blessed you with the current spiritual reality of knowing that in Christ, he chose you to be his people before the world began, so that you can be a certain type of people for his pleasure. So stop looking to other things for satisfaction or other ways of life and humbly look to the one who has called you long ago and given you a way of life to walk, to, to walk in as a testament to his goodness. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for your goodness towards us. Thanks for Ephesians chapter 1. Thank you for verse 3. That we are blessed by the one who blesses the blessed. Thank you that we uh, receive spiritual blessing in heavenly places, in the heavenlies, in the heavenly realms. Thank you that you chose us before the foundation of the world, that we would live holy and blameless lives before you. Thank you. Thank you for the reminder that we are secure, not based on what we've done, but before our sin came about, before we came about, before the world came about, you already had grace in motion. 
Thank you. As a church, we begin to talk about now, over the next four or five weeks, things that are extremely confusing to our very simple, very fleshly minds, but we pray that you would enlighten our eyes, enlighten our minds, that our hearts understand the true beauty of what's causing worship in verses 3 through 14. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.